Welcome to New Life Church's weekly message. New Life Church's mission is to lead people into a transforming relationship with Jesus through the gospel. This is message number eight in the series From the Book of James, with speaker Pastor Brett Starr, entitled Real Faith Seeks Wisdom, from James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. You can find the sermon outline for this message at www.enewlife.com. So we, we are continuing uh, in the book of James, and James was the half-brother of Jesus, very good, and he's been teaching and showing us that our faith in Jesus Christ proves itself to be true and genuine faith by our good and godly attitudes and actions, our words and our works. That's what James is trying to show us. In James chapter 1, verse 22, it says that if we are only hearers of the word and not doers, we deceive ourselves. If we only sit in a chair every Sunday and listen, and that's it, we deceive ourselves. People with real, true, and saving faith in Jesus Christ will grow in obedience to God's word. James chapter 1, verse 26 says that if we do not keep a tight rein on our tongues, we deceive ourselves as well. So people with real, true, and saving faith in Jesus Christ will grow in controlling their tongues and their words. James chapter 2, verse 1 says, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? No. James does not want us to be deceived into thinking that we have true faith when in fact our life may prove that we have false, unsaving faith. That's not what James wants. So that brings us to our passage this morning. So James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, if you want to follow along with me as I read. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you uh, for the truth in it. And Lord, I just pray that this morning, you will open our, our hearts and our minds to what it is you want us to hear. Help us to be changed and conform us more to the image of your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, I just ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So James begins this section um, by once again taking a page out of his brother's uh, playbook. And, and he asks a question. If you read through the Gospels, Jesus asked lots of questions. And those questions almost forced whoever was hearing those questions to come up with an answer. He didn't just give them a question and, and let it be. He forced us and his hearers to answer. So James does the same thing. In verse 13, he says, Who is wise and understanding among you? So this little short question, I think for us as the hearers, it forces us to do a couple things. We've got to figure out what it means to be wise and understanding. I think that's something that God wants all of us 
to be and to have. He wants us to have wisdom and understanding, but we better know what that means first. Then what it's going to do is make some of us look around the room and point to people and say, yeah, that, that person's wise, that person's understanding. But the third thing it's going to do is force us to figure out if we are in that same category of the wise and understanding. So that's what this question is going to do. And we're going to start with the word wise. What does that mean? Well, here it refers to a person who is going on a journey. And this person goes up to the highest mountaintop that he can get to. And he looks out over to the terrain and says, I'm going way over there. Let me see what obstacles are in my way. And let me see where I have to go and how I get there the best way. And he also looks over at the clouds and the weather, and he he figures out what he has to do to prepare for the weather that he's going to encounter. And so those who are wise are those who observe what's around them. They learn the truth about what's around them, and they change, and they adjust their lives, and they respond to, and they, they act on this knowledge that they have. So as Christians, one of the things which should mark our lives is that we change and adjust to and respond to and act in our lives based on our increasing knowledge of God and his word. In John chapter 17, Jesus prays for his disciples and he even prays for us. Did you know Jesus prayed for you in John 17? In verse 17 of that chapter, Jesus asked God to do something. For his disciples, he asked God the Father to sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth, he says. So Jesus prays for his followers that God's word would be the thing by which they're sanctified. Sanctification or to be sanctified means to be set apart. To be set apart for God's will. And it means also to be set free from the power that sin has over us. So the wise who are among us today are those who are constantly changing, adjusting, and responding, and acting on the knowledge of the truth of God's word, but also they're being sanctified. And the power of sin is becoming less and less in their lives. I tell the youth group sometimes that we'll never be sinless, but the normal pattern of a Christian's life is that they will sin less and less and less. So let me ask you this. Are you growing in the knowledge of God's word? Like the guy who goes up on top of the mountain, are are you going up on top of a mountain and learning about God's word so you can figure out the journey that he's given you? And are you seeing the power of sin decrease in your life rather than increase? Let me remind us of something. Having knowledge means that you know things. Having wisdom means that you do things with the knowledge that you have. Wisdom is a result of knowledge, but knowledge doesn't always result in wisdom. Let me repeat that. So having knowledge means you know things. Having wisdom means that you do things with the knowledge that you have. And wisdom is a result of knowledge, but it doesn't always, knowledge doesn't always result in wisdom. So when it it comes to having knowledge, it's a great thing which God, all over the Bible, he says he wants us to grow in our knowledge. It's a great thing, but it also warns us that knowledge has the ability to puff us up and make us prideful. So who is wise among you, James asks? Who among you doesn't just know a lot or have lived the longest or 
done the most, but who among you is being changed by the truth of God's word? So much so that, that the path of your life is different and that sin is decreasing in your life. James then asked this question, who's understanding among you? The word understanding here uh, in the original language is where we get our English word epistemology. We don't use that word very much. But it means the study of knowledge with the goal of coming to a truthful conclusion. That's what it means. So someone who has this understanding doesn't simply just form an opinion based on what they feel. They form an opinion based on truth and fact And they're able to tell other people, here's why you should believe this. So in the Christian community, those of us who have understanding are those of us who have an understanding of God's word, but we're also able to explain to other people why we should believe it. So I believe that those of us who claim to be Christians, we need to be equipped and we need to be able to answer the why questions of our faith. So if somebody says, you believe the Bible is God's word and nothing else is? Why do you believe that? You believe Jesus is God? You believe he died on a cross and rose again? You know, the answer that doesn't fly these days is because the Bible says it. Nobody buys that answer anymore. Nobody buys the answer Well, that's what I grew up believing. That's what my parents believed. That's what my church taught me. We can't have those answers anymore in the world that we live in. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being, being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. A reason for the hope that's in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So we're told to be prepared to always have a reason. That's why. It's not just, here's what I believe, it's here's why I believe it. So when James asks his question, who is wise and understanding among you, it makes us, forces us to figure out what does it mean to be wise? What does it mean to be understanding? Makes us also think about, am I part of that group? There might be people that we know that we would say and point out, yeah, they're wise, they're understanding, I'll take some people to them. But do you want to be in that group of the wise and understanding? James says this, so who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life. If you think you know someone who's wise and understanding, or if you put yourself in that category, it definitely matters what we say to people. It definitely matters what we say and how we say it. Our words definitely matter. But James says that the wise and understanding among us need to show it by their good life. Or as other versions would say, show it by your good conduct or your honorable life. This is James, in a way, saying to us, okay, so you think you're wise and understanding? Prove it. Prove it by your life, your good life. Think about Paul, the greatest missionary ever, who wrote over half the New Testament. Here's what he said in 1 Corinthians 2 about his words. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, 
For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So at least at this point, Paul is saying, when I came to Corinth to preach to you, I didn't come up with these great lofty five-hour sermons that you would come away from and say, wow, he knows a lot. He says, I showed it to you as a demonstration of the power of the Spirit in my life. That's what he said. John MacArthur says that just as with faith in the book of James, wisdom and understanding that are demonstrated, that are not demonstrated by righteous, godly living are devoid of spiritual value. They're spiritually worthless. I wish, I wish God and James or Paul or one of them would say, talk a lot, because I can talk a lot, but, but he says, show it. We need to talk, but show it, he says, by our good life. Whenever I think about the word good, I think of the story in Mark chapter 10, where uh, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus, and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus turns to him and said, why do you call me good? There's no one good except God. There's no one good except God alone. So when it comes to anyone living a good life, it's impossible to do it apart from God. And for those of us who are Christians and we're believers in Jesus Christ, we have a lot of wonderful promises about the good life of God flowing through us. So I'm going to read just a few. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. He doesn't say, this life I live in the body, I live by faith in me. He doesn't say, I pick myself up by my bootstraps. He says, I live by faith in the Son of God. In Colossians 3, 4, it says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So Christ is our life. And it's no longer we who live, but it's Christ who lives in us. The good life we're supposed to live, that James says, is the life and power of Jesus Christ flowing in and through us. That's what it is. So James says, show it. Show your wisdom and understanding by your good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Our good life, empowered by the life of Christ, shows itself by deeds done in the humility of wisdom. Or the ESV says the meekness of wisdom. Now, meekness is not something lots of men aspire to. I want to be meek. So I, I don't know. We think of it like it's a, I don't know, a meek little mouse or something. But meekness is something that Moses possessed. The Bible says he was the meekest of all men. And meekness here means having strength under control. It means you have strength, you have wisdom, you have the understanding, but you know how to control it. So whenever I think of that, whenever, whenever I think about strength, strength under control, I think about a situation we've all been in, and that's school. And there's always that one kid, we'll call him Billy. And that one kid, when, let's say he's in math class, the teacher asks and says, 
you know, what's the answer to this question? And Billy's always like, mm mm-hmm. in, in his chair almost, you know, he flies out of his chair almost. Every question. And then if she needs somebody to demonstrate on the board, Billy's like, mm-hmm. I know how to do it. Right? Right away. So I imagine that going on for a couple weeks with Billy. And the teacher then comes alongside Billy after the, after the class. And she says maybe something like this. Billy, you're a bright kid. Okay, you, you've been one of the top students on math all year. You, you do a great job. You do your homework. You know all the answers. I know you're a great student, but I want to ask you to do a few things for me. And she says, Billy, since you're so good at math, would you mind helping a few of the students who aren't so good? And uh, they need help, and I think you could help them. And I would help you help them, and it'd be great. And she says, the next thing I'd like you to do is... Um, when I'm asking for answers, Billy, or, or when I'm asking for somebody to demonstrate a problem on the board, um, I'm going to ask you to not be the first one to raise your hand, because I already know you can do it. So uh, imagine the teacher asked Billy for a week or two, why don't you just sit back, don't, don't be that first one to raise your hand, but observe the class and See what other people do, how other people answer. Let them fail a little bit, Billy, because some people need to fail in order to learn some things. And when they get up to the board and they do the problem, see how they do it. Because maybe you'll find a better way. Who knows? And so she says to him, and what I'm going to do, Billy, for you is I'm going to have some really hard problems for you. And I'm going to call on you throughout the week, and, and you're going to come demonstrate them to the class. So she says, Billy, I want you to think about that. And you tell me tomorrow what you think. So what the teacher is doing is pointing out to him, because she knows and he knows, he has strength in the subject of math. He's good at math. But what she's doing is she's trying to show him how to have, have control of that strength and to do good deeds in the humility that comes with knowing he knows how to do it. So she's teaching him, do good deeds, teach other kids how to do it, let some kids fail, and, and let them answer questions. She's teaching him how to have humility and meekness that comes along with wisdom. So as Christians, when we grow in wisdom and understanding, our goal is to not let everyone know how much we know. Okay, when I went to Bible college, that happened all the time. So we, you know, 19, 20-year-olds, we know the Bible, and we know it all, right? So there'd be these long debates in the hallways all the time, and we wanted everybody to know how much we knew. But that was kind of arrogant a little bit on some of our parts. So we don't want people to just know how much we know by what we say. We need to show them what we know by what we do. We need to show them. We need to show them what God has taught us and how it's changed our lives. Not just that we know some things. Verse 14 starts out with a very important word, and the word is but. The last time I preached, I taught you all to look for the big buts in the Bible. Does anyone remember? You'll never forget it. So really, whenever you see the word but in the Bible, you better pay attention. So he says, who is wise and understanding among you, let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you, now it's getting personal, it's not if 
you over there, me, if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth or be false to the truth. So this is little Billy saying to the math teacher that day, sure, I'll think about it, I'll come back to you tomorrow. But at the exact same time, the envy and selfish ambition in his heart says, forget this, I'm going to keep raising my hand because I want everybody to know how much I know and I want everybody to know me as the greatest math student ever at this school. And I'm not teaching anybody anything else I know because I want to hold on to that for myself so that I'm the only one that knows how to do that. The heart answers the question, what do I want and why do I want it? Here, James would say that the envious and selfish person in their heart simply wants wants what's good for them. They're envious of anyone else who has what they want. They try to split up groups of people so that they can gain followers or people who like them. And James is also saying that in in this verse that if you think you have wisdom and understanding, don't boast about it. Don't boast about it. And don't boast about maybe the people you think you're better than. Don't boast that you think you could lead or teach everyone better. James says don't boast, because when you do, you're proving that you're being false to the truth or you're denying the truth. So what does that mean? James uses the word truth a couple other times in his letter. In James 1.18, he says, Of his own will he brought us forth. So God brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So through this thing called the truth, God forms us into a new kind of creature. And in James 5.19, he says that we have the ability to wander from the truth. So the truth by which we're made into new creatures and the truth by which we can wander away from can only be one thing. It's the gospel. Ephesians 1.13 says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So to deny the truth means that you're denying the gospel of your salvation. When our hearts are filled with envy and selfish ambition and boasting, James says we're proving that the truth of the gospel we claim to know actually probably has no claim on us at all. And we're liars. And we're deceiving ourselves, and we are being false to the truth. James goes on to say in verse 15 that such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is first earthly. It's earthly or worldly. 1 John 2.15 tells us, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, here's everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man or the lust of the flesh, as some of us know it. The lust of the eyes and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away with its desires. But the man who does the will of God lives forever. Wisdom that is earthly or from the world says we need to desire to acquire all we can to make us feel good. It tells us that whatever our eyes see that we want, you better get it however you can get it. 
And it tells us that we also have the right to show off everything that we have and everything that we've done to the entire world on Facebook. (laughs) That type of wisdom isn't from God. It's from the world, and it's going to pass away. James says this type of wisdom is earthly. It's also unspiritual. This is a word that could be translated animalistic, like you're an animal, or only out to please your own body. And it says, if it feels good, I'm going to do it. It's unspiritual. It's looking at yourself as if you're an animal saying, I can do whatever I want, and it's not going to hurt me. So what are you doing right now in your life that may feel really good to your body, but it's very damaging to your spiritual life? He also says this type of wisdom is of the devil or demonic. Many people believe that the first type of sin present in God's creation was that of envy and selfish ambition and pride in the fallen angelic world that he created. The fallen angels or the demons were filled with this. And that, was, that sin was projected onto man in the temptation of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden by the serpent or Satan himself. So let's read about that in Genesis chapter 3. Satan said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So Satan first gets her to question what God said. And he twists it a little bit. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. So here we see that Eve then adds to God's rule. God only said, you shouldn't eat from it, but Eve added that they shouldn't even touch it. And I want to point out, Adam was right there with her and didn't put his arm around her and say, honey, you're, you're half right, got it right, but here's what God said. Here's what God really said. And Adam didn't speak up either. It goes on and says, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die For God knows that when you eat of of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So what Satan does there, he takes a little bit of truth because in the next chapter, God says, now man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. But he says, you will not surely die. So he mixes a little bit of truth with a lie and Satan was trying to show her that he knew better than God. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, the desires of the flesh, and that it was a delight to the eyes and the lust of her flesh, and listen to this, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Well, we have to realize that sometimes the trees that we're getting our wisdom from only produce bad fruit and death in us. The trees that we go to to get our wisdom that we think, wow, that is wise, that's a wise person, that's a wise thing, sometimes it only produces bad fruit in us. So we've got to be on the lookout for those, whatever, talk shows, magazines, websites, political talking heads, even some pastors and preachers. That when they say something like, here's how your life is supposed to be. Here's what you're supposed to do with your life. Here's the path you're supposed to take. 
we better perk up our ears and grab this and see if it lines up with the Word of God. Because if it doesn't, then we need to throw away those little nuggets of wisdom of how to live our lives. And then we better figure out what to do with the whole thing or the person or the show or whatever. Sometimes the trees we go to for wisdom only produce bad fruit in us. In verse 16, James gives us his own little nugget of wisdom and truth as a warning. He says, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. That's what happened with Adam and Eve in the garden, right? The moment they sinned, disorder and every evil practice. And evil and sin just got exponentially huge after that. Not too long after that, one of their kids killed another one of their kids. Every evil practice and disorder. So imagine if everyone, we just did what we wanted to do. We thought like an animal, I'm an animal, so I'm just going to do whatever I want. Or what if we said, here's a good one, said everything that came to our minds. That'd be great. Oh. What if we just acted however we wanted to act it? to act toward people that we didn't like or even toward people that we envied if we just did whatever we wanted toward them. What would happen? Disorder and every evil practice. Almost all evil and sin in this world originates with our selfishness of wanting to do whatever we want to do and ignoring what God wants us to do. That's where it starts. Let's look at verse 17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure which means it's not messed up by sin. It's then peace-loving, which means it's a wisdom that gets rid of fighting and jealousy. The wisdom of God is considerate and leads us to think of others more highly than ourselves. The wisdom of God is submissive. It leads us to humble ourselves under the direction and authority of God in His Word. The wisdom of God is full of mercy and leads us to not give people what they deserve because in His grace, God didn't give us what we deserve. The wisdom of God is full of good fruit and leads us to be filled with the good, you could call it attitude fruit, of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And once those attitude fruits are birthed in us, what that's going to do is that it's going to affect us in such a way that we have to begin doing good deeds because of those attitudes that God has put in us. Paul prayed for the Colossian people in in Colossians 1, and he says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That sounds familiar. And we pray this in order that you might live a life worthy of the Lord. Not so you can tell everybody how much you know. And you may please him, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. So it's a mix of knowledge and wisdom and doing it and living it. The wisdom of God is also impartial. In James 1.5, it says, If anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all, without finding fault. It's impartial. So God's not up there saying, mm, No, you're kind of a, you're a dummy. I'm not going to give you any wisdom. Those are the people who need it. 
He wants to give it to everybody. And lastly, the, the wisdom of God is sincere. It leads us to stop lying, stop trying to deceive people, stop, stop being insincere, and begin genuinely to understand that our words and our actions and our atti- attitudes do affect the people around us. There's something else I want to mention about the wisdom of God. In 1 Corinthians 1.30, it says this, It's because of him, God, it's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become what? He has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So it's because of God that we're in Christ Jesus. He has become wisdom from God to us. And if it's wisdom we seek, we better know the written wisdom of God, the written word of God, because it points us to the living wisdom and word of God, who's Jesus Christ. So if all we are is stuck over here and we know a lot, but it doesn't point us to Jesus, it doesn't bear any fruit in our life, it's worthless. It's worthless. The final verse says, uh, in verse 18, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. So this could be an entirely different sermon. Um, but remember, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. The sons of God are those, according to John 1, are those who believe and put their faith in the name of Jesus Christ. Not everyone is a son of God. The Bible says we're either son of God or the son of the devil. Of the devil. It's only when we put our faith in Jesus Christ that we become a son of God. So when Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God, what those sons of God do is they bring to others the wisdom and message of Jesus Christ, who did what? Who brought peace to the world between God and man. And he reconciled us, God and man, by the good news of his death and resurrection. So what we do as sons of God is now we go plant that seed of the gospel of peace, as it's called, so that in the lives of people there's a harvest of righteousness, not of envy and selfish ambition. So we need, we need to be peacemakers. They're bringing the peace, the gospel of peace to other people. So what we need to do is we need to look at the wisdom of the world versus the wisdom of God and and see what it says. So here's a few things. The wisdom of the world says you don't have to change for anybody. The wisdom of God says in Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed or be changed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So when we say, I don't have to change for anybody, God says, you need to change for me. And you better figure out what's good and acceptable and perfect because that's my will and that's what I want you to do. The wisdom of the world says, I decide what's true for me, you decide what's true for you, and we'll just leave each other alone so we don't have a fight. The wisdom of God in Proverbs 3, 7 says, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. 
God doesn't want us to ever think that our wisdom is greater than his. Isaiah says that his ways are not our ways, his thoughts are not our thoughts. The wisdom of the world says no one can tell me what to do. No parent, no teacher, no boss, no government. I'm my own man and I decide what I do. The wisdom of God says in Romans 13:1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. God has placed authorities over us for our good and our protection. He wants us to respect the authorities that God has put over us. The wisdom of the world wants our kids to say, Mom and Dad, it doesn't matter who my friends are. So lay off. They're mine. They're my friends. They're not yours. So you can't tell me who to be friends with. Proverbs 13, 20 says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. And another one, Proverbs twenty two fifteen says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. The wisdom of this world tells us to drink away all of our problems, right? The wisdom of God warns us in Proverbs 20 that wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. The wisdom of the world says, speak your mind. Let your boss have it because they're an idiot anyway. The wisdom of God says in Proverbs 29, a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. The wisdom of the world says that beauty is the most desirable trait in a woman, but the wisdom of God says in Proverbs 31, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting away, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. The wisdom of the world says that I should work out perfectly and eat perfectly in these little Tupperwares so that I can lose 15 pounds in 21 days. Who's seen that commercial? Mm Mm-hmm. I don't believe it. The wisdom of God says in Galatians, no, wrong one. In 1 Timothy 4, 7, train yourself to be godly. That's what we need to train ourselves in. For physical training is of some value. It has value. It's good. But godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. The wisdom of this world says, I can do all the things I want to do, as fine as, and I'm fine as long as I don't get caught. The wisdom of God says, in Galatians 5.19, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. They're out there. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. We need to get back to saying that word, don't we? Idolatry and witchcraft. Did you know the word, word witchcraft in the Greek is pharmakia, like a pharmacy, like mind-altering drugs? Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. He gives us what's called like a drunk drawer because all of us would look at that list and be like, yes, I haven't done any of those, but I'm doing something else, but that's not on the list. But he says things like these. We can't get away from it. He says, I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. We could go on all day, couldn't we? I think, with those. Um, But another thing is, um, I asked our ministry staff, or pastoral staff, to to tell me where they see the wisdom of the world overtaking new life in our minds as they talk with people, interact with people. So they finished a few sentences for me. Here's a couple of them. I see our people believing that success is defined by 
the degree to which we believe we're getting to live the American dream. Being at the top, having a good reputation of achievement and material wealth, and how smart we are. Next one, I see our people believing that their identity is wrapped up in their perfect marriage and their perfect family that it looks like on the outside. How people perceive me and not how God sees me. My job or what I look like. And lastly, I see our people believing the most important thing in life is freedom and self-determination. Here's an interesting one, my pets. You know, there was, there was a little study done that if you had a pet drowning and a neighbor drowning at the same time, there was a majority of people who picked the pet. Being happy is the most important thing. And if we are on family feud, and I was, I, I remember Ray Combs, remember that guy? Okay. <laughs> And he said, survey says the number one thing that people believe is the most important thing in life. It's the happiness of, the achievements of, and wrapping my schedule and time around my darling little kids. The wisdom of God says in Isaiah 45, I am the Lord and there is no other. Beside me there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me. That, my, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord. There is no other God but God, and he is the one we're supposed to worship. Not ourselves, not our spouse, not our kids, not our job, not any of those things are we supposed to worship. And so the wisdom of the world also says, I'm good. I don't need any help. I got it, got it under control. I'll get my life together, you know, when I mature and grow up, when I'm however old that is, when I get married, you know, and me and God, we're fine. You know, I'll work things out with him later. When I decide, you know, you know to settle down when I have kids and think, oh, yeah, that's a great thing to do. I got to bring my kids to church, so I better do that. The wisdom of God says, today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, not 40 years from now. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that God wants to save you from sin. And a little later, our prayer partners are going to come up. If they want to come up now, they can come up. But you can talk to them about, I need to be saved from my sin. I need to become a son or daughter of God and put my faith in Jesus Christ. And they'll help you through that. Or maybe you need to be saved from the wisdom of the world. Maybe one or two of those things that I mentioned, you said, yeah, that's me. You need to confess that and be, begin to live according to the wisdom of God. Who are you going to tell these things to that you learned today? We are supposed to use our words and tell people. Maybe mom and dad, you're going to go home and tell your kids what you learned. But more importantly, you're going to show them. You're going to show the people around you what you know and not just tell them. Maybe you need to know a little bit more of why you believe what you believe and you need some help. You want somebody to help you understand that. We have lots of people in this church who would love to help you with that. So I'm going to pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your wisdom. We thank you for your word. We thank you um, just so much for the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ. 
And I just pray that you will help his life flow in and through all of us, um, all of us who are believers. And Lord, I just ask that you will change us and help us to change and adjust our lives to the truth of your word. And sanctify us, help us to see the power of sin become less and less in our lives. And I just pray that uh, you will be the one that we look to for our wisdom. Lord, maybe there's something we need to get rid of today because it's a tree we've been looking to for wisdom that's not producing very much good fruit. Lord, I pray you'll help us in all of these things. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was delivered from James 3, 13 through 18. Visit us each week as we continue to journey through God's Word and seek to know Him better through the Gospel. Our prayer is that the Gospel has taken a deeper hold of you as we have studied the Word together at New Life Church, where Jesus is front and center all the time.